The Rebel Leadership Podcast, a refreshing take on authentic leadership told through real stories. Let's smash the status quo and change how leaders lead once and for all. Can you imagine hiring 100 people in a year? Now picture hiring 100,000. Oh, the anxiety that kicks in just thinking about it. On today's episode of the Rebel Leadership Podcast, I'm talking to Dan Black. He's the global leader for talent attraction and acquisition at Ernst & Young. And yep, he oversees the recruitment of EY's global operations. That 100,000 number, that's his reality. We dig deep into Rebel Leadership at Big Business. How to speak truth to power, how to challenge status quo, how to have hard conversations for the good of the organization and for the people in it. We talk about how hard it is to instill rebellious leadership principles into a growing business at that magnitude when new hires come in with their own styles and experiences every single day. The 40 plus people we hired last year doesn't seem so daunting after having this chat with Dan. Listen, reflect, and embrace your next aha moment. So I heard you, uh, you've used to do stand-up comedy. Is that true? That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was a, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you how it happened. I was at an intern conference that, that EY was giving and I was emceeing and a couple of separate interns after they're like, you're funny, you should do stand-up. And I'm like, okay. And so I, uh, I actually do a lot of work with uh, the March of Dimes uh, organization and we were short money one year and I said, what if I did a stand-up comedy oh, for charity? Really? Uh, and we brought in quite a lot of money and funny story, Allison. I um, after I did the the gig, the the club owner said, "Hey, do you want a do you want a regular slot?" And I was like, what? "Wow, I didn't think I was any good." He's oh he said, God. "No, yeah, you could do this." I'm like, "I think I'm going to stick with the day job." Wait, so what's your comedy style? Are you like a Seinfeld? Are you like a- I'm, I'm much more of a Seinfeld observation, um, you know, poking fun of at reality. I have a lot of a lot of good material that lives right here at the house with me. I, <laughs> my wife threatened me with an inch, inch of my life. She goes. No stories about sex or drinking or anything with me. I'm like, okay, um, you know, that, that limited half my show, but we'll we'll figure it out. We'll go from there. <laughs> so what's your comedy spiel about your job at work? Oh, well, you know, I, I spent a lot of time talking about the exciting uh, unknown live of lives of accountants. And, oh, uh, you know, we, we have a lot more fun than people than people realize. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So you told me that you hire 90,000 people a year at Ernst & Young? In, in a regular year, somewhere, between, it's always between 80 and 95. This In the last 12 months rolling, we hired actually 120,000 in the last rolling 12 months. So we are even above in this crazy market that you're aware of. So yeah, but it is it is a big number. That number gives me heart palpitations. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> we, we hired 42 and it's like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I need to pass out thinking about that number. So I cannot imagine what it is like in the hundreds of thousands. So so describe your role, like your your team, your world. What is it that you do at Ernst & Young? Sure, sure. So I am, you know, I've got this fabulous title that barely, that fits on two sides of a business card, which is uh, um, the global leader of talent attraction and acquisition for EY. And, and in a nutshell, it's, it's, it's the global head of recruiting. But as the, you know, the more complicated name would suggest, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, bringing people into the firm. It is about increasingly getting people about the, excited about the prospect 
of working at the firm and even more so um, getting people to be more aware of what we do, right? And this, I think this is a, a bigger issue for lots and lots of organizations, uh, which is, hey, so many people are redefining who they are, what they do, and, and the talent that they need to get them to continue to do to be great at what they do. You know, increasingly obvious stuff, Allison, like, you know, we need people that are data analysts and, and people that are digital natives and those kinds of things. Um, but also as 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 companies, you know, pivot, you know, whether it's from the pandemic or, or changes in supply chain and what have you, um, attracting people to the organization is com- has gotten a lot more complicated. And and practically speaking for us, a big part of our job is, hey, we're, we're not your, your your mom and dad's accounting firm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think if you're a, a tax person um, or an audit person or an accounting person, I would think that EY would be somewhere in your in your scope of, of, of ideal employers, I would hope. Um, but if you're not one of those things, maybe you're unaware of all the the, the amazing things that we do and, and career paths that we offer. So that that my role is increasingly getting getting that awareness out there. And then once that's there, attracting more people to come and, and hit that apply button. Well, to that point, it's in that role of leadership, you have to be the brand. And a lot of what that brand is, who that brand is, emanates from from leaders from how they talk that, about that. it, how they inspire people about it. That is that is way more the essence of it than I ever thought it was until I was in the role that I'm in. What, what's been your experience with that? I mean, yeah, spot on. Like, I don't want to be one of those guests who just agrees with the great host. Um, but <laughs> but in this case, um, I, I, don't, I don't know that there is anything more important than leaders being their authentic selves and by extension of, you know, of that, representing the organizations that they're a part of. So so I get a lot more traction in the market with talent where people will say to me, "Oh, I saw your CEO said this on a on a uh, you know in on on a newscast or you know I heard this uh, on LinkedIn this story and what is that like?" That is will will go much further um in in terms of attracting people or telling pe- the the true story about what your organization is about than anything else any campaign any paid advertising you can do because that that desire for authenticity authenticity, um, that spans every industry, every category, every job class I've ever seen. And for people like like me, so, you know, I've, I've been at, at, at one place at, at EY for almost 30 years. And so being able to spend that much time being my authentic self and making sure that that is still in agreement and congruence with what, you know, what the firm is trying to pr- portray, who we are, because we're not, we're not anything other than our people, Um to have that last for for again almost thirty years, feeling I can be myself and represent those firm the firm. There are two different things. Um, that has been a, a godsend. It's what I try to talk to candidates about. Is is I don't want you to come in and fit in here. I want to come in. I want you to come in and, and be a part of you know what the organization is. Does that become growingly more difficult? as you hire 100,000 people a year to be that confident, true, authentic self? Yeah, yeah, there's no question. And, you know, on, on top of that, so that, that there's an additional complication of our organization um, is 300,000 people worldwide, give or take. So if you're hiring, in essence, a third of that in a given year, give or take, and, you know, a lot of those, you know, we have retirements, we have people that go on to move to clients, we have a lot of growth, you know, so there's a lot of different reasons for hiring that many people. Um, but making sure that you're maintaining, um, in essence, the, you know, the, 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 you know, what the firm is, what's, what has made the firm, the culture, but then also 
incorporating all the nuance. And I think the best example for me in the last 10 years or so is as we're hiring people from this latest generation, right? So you know, Gen Z, um, they have very different thoughts about well, everything, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. what, what, you know, what they're looking for an employer, how they, how they want to work, how they want to present themselves at work, um, how they want to interact with our clients. And so I've spent a lot of time talking to people that are more senior in the organizations, whether they be boomers or Xers saying, look, there may be different ways of doing things. It doesn't mean that the old way is better and the new way is worse or, or even vice versa. It just means you need to keep, um, you know, what's important is the, the results, client service, you know, teaming that culture and 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 the way that you go about it you got to have some flexibility um probably my my favorite story or one of my favorites is we were hiring our, the average age at ey globally is about 28 years old okay wow. senior leadership of the firm tends to be let's just say a little bit older right yeah. to be polite <laughs> and so so I, I i had this this constant feedback um when the, when gen y was becoming you know, proliferating at the firm saying you know these these people they come in and they got their earbuds in they're not listening to me. I'm like, did it occur to you that maybe their earbuds are in because they're listening to something, some background music that's actually helping them focus and concentrate more? And the answer was invariably, no, I, I never thought that. <laughs> and my response to them is start thinking that um, because, again, it's just a different way of approaching to get to, you know, I find this generation to be every bit as much focused and determined to succeed. It's just that their methods are just not what some of us are used to. It doesn't well, make them better or worse. In that story, mm. you're like that that person who's in charge of shifting perspective between generations. And and I find personally that's that is a tricky tightrope to walk because you very much respect and understand the people who have experienced more in life, who have lived through the ups and downs of business and who have very real um, experiences and leadership to share. And then you also see the benefit of refreshing that thinking and listening to the new um, and really trusting new generations, younger generations, like just all of it. The the conflict of the two sometimes mm-hmm. is really palpable. And it does take rebellious leaders to be the ones to articulate things in a respectful way, but to say the hard shit. Oh yeah. There's no you know, speaking truth to power, whatever you want to call it. And and the first time you do it, um, I remember the first time that I really, really put my my name and my and my career on the line. I was in a um, a board meeting. This is I was leading um, the U.S. at the time, as opposed to global. I was in the board meeting, and I, Alice, I'm convinced in those board meetings they make the guest chair like three inches shorter than everyone else. So I felt like you know I've, I I went in like oh my goodness, and these I'm were sure the that's most- real. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, and these are the most senior people at, at you know in the organization that I was I was in. And and uh, I went right in and I said, look, if you you know we need to be out in social media. So this is when social media was just you know getting getting to be utilized by by you know corporate and as a way to brand, etc. And I said we got to be out there on Facebook to tell our story. And 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 our CEO is like, that's great. What's Facebook? Like this is how early on it was. And I got pushback from the at the time from someone in a marketing group saying, um, I, I, but then we don't have control of our brand. And I said, if you don't think we're already losing control of that brand, um, we need to rethink 
you know, what you're doing on a day basis. So, so, but, but putting yourself out there, I think there's two things that any, any leader, you know, needs to keep in mind. First and foremost, you know, being, being true to what the organization is about, right. And EY, you know, our, our purpose is building a better working world. You can't do that if you keep doing what you've always done, right? And so, so if you truly believe that and you believe that, that, that the leadership of the organization believes it, then it's that much easier. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's easier to say, here are the changes we need to make because of what you're telling me, candidly. And mm-hmm. I'm just telling you a, a, a better, faster way to get there. But number two, you also have to feel confident that, that your intervention, maybe between those two schools of thoughts or two generations or what have you, you have to feel that your, your intervention has to be grounded in good fact and detail. And the fact of the matter is for the long, for as long as I can remember the media and, you know, and, and you know, kind of what's out there, what's consumable out there is, is not doing us any favors because it has been for decades now focusing on the differences between generations and, you know, what, what was yesteryear and what is today in corporate America. And, and candidly, I saw a lot of overlap. You know, I, I said, Hey, this baby, you know, this boomer and this, and this Gen Y or Gen Z, Different generations, different thought on what like wellness means and work-life balance means. But at the end of the day, want to be successful, want to provide for their families, want to be part of an organization that's bigger than who you know than who they are, as in you know be, be part of something big and and really build that better working world. So why don't we focus on some of the similarities? Start with the willing, and then the rest we can work through as we go. It's so true because when you really boil it down and you're the courageous person to say, what, do, what is it that we all want? Mm. How we arrive there makes less, it's, it's less important. But right. in, that, in that moment when you're describing the first time you kind of stepped out of your body to say the thing that needed to be said in that room, mm. how did it land? So uh, there was... Because I had always been, you know, I was able to deliver. Like at that time, I was heading up recruiting for the U.S. I had never missed a hiring goal. We had increased our our, our diversity of, of where we were sourcing people from and people joining the firm. So I had some credibility, some, you know, uh, uh, that I had built along the way. Yeah, you weren't coming so in hot were, right out the gate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was a good time to add. And by the way, it was also at a time when we really needed to ramp up and start to look for some other different types of hires. So, so there was a there was I think there was a willingness to begin with. Um, and, and and so it actually landed pretty well. Um, there was a, I, I went in with a here's what I need from a, a resources standpoint, from a financial resources standpoint, and there was a, like a hey, you know, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He's delivered to the past. There's no reason to think he wouldn't. Um, and by the way, what he's saying is backed up again by facts and data and, and what have you. Let's let's give it a whirl. Now the beauty, you know, I, 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 there's always pluses and minuses to being in part of a big corporate organization. The beauty is that that budgeting and 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 how you're planning. Granted, there's a long term, but then there's a, there's that you know that fiscal year or that annual you know component of, of of looking through your strategy. And it was like, let's give this a go. And and look, in a year's time, if it if it's if we're off course or it's not working, we'll we'll you know we'll rejigger. And it turned out that it worked, and we reached more people. And you know that, you know it was it was a a good happy ending story. But it, it did land pretty well because of I had done my homework ahead of time and went in not with just, you know, a good friend of mine at the firm says passion is great, but passion is not a strategy. Mm-hmm. So having the, you know, uh, the, the impetus as to why you're suggesting and why you think it will work uh, very much helped to put it over over the top for me. Well, that's an important piece of why rebel leadership needs to be from all aspects of the organization, not just one rebel leader, but a, a series of people who are willing to take those risks to say yes 
and give you your green light that would then propel your career, that would then propel the business. Because if you're investing in the right people who have the data, have the foresight, have the the vision and the strategy and the creds to back it up, why hold them back? That's when ego holds that back, that's when that person's stifled and they just end up going elsewhere. You know, another thing about that, it's so interesting you say that because I, I get the impression, especially I, I hear this from friends all the time, like you work part of this big corporate machine, right? Like 300,000 people, 140 countries around the world, you know, kind of how do you get things done? And even candidates will say, hey, I want to work somewhere that's entrepreneurial and like, you know, it's a smaller group and I like really move things along. I, I would say that there's an opportunity that that maybe people aren't thinking enough about, which is I have lots and lots of potential partners and and customers, if you will, in-house. So if I want to try to get something across or make a change, and maybe this practice or this country or this part of the business is not into it, I can usually find someone that is. And so I can do like a little microcosm, a little proof of concept over here. And, and then the next group that I go to said, it's already worked so well in Germany. Why don't we try it in Switzerland? And and and, and that kind of the ability to experiment to be, to be entrepreneurial instead of just entrepreneurial, um, I think is lost on a lot of people. They don't, they're not taking advantage of those networks inside of large organizations that they really could. That's such a glass half full perspective, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, because <laughs> like it, it is really all about that. If you just choose to pause and yeah. see the opportunity that's in front of you, you may see it differently instead of like, nope, I have had this in my mind all along and this is the only way that it's gonna work. If you just stop and encourage other people to stop and see what's really in front of them, it could be life-changing. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. As you're growing in your role and in leadership and as Ernst & Young is growing, Mm. there must be more hard conversations happening than, than ever before. Oh, man. Do you, I, you know. <laughs> do you feel like your comedy piece of your background and the exposure and just the pure vulnerability of being on that stage has anything to do with your ability to have car- hard conversations and just go for it? There's no question about it. There is absolutely no question about it because you know some of the stuff that I mean that we are dealing with as a society, much less EY, you know, are so heavy. I mean, take your pick. Pandemic social injustice everywhere, geopolitical issues, immigrate, like you name it, everything's heavy, supply chain, and all of it impacts corporate. And, and to be able to go in with, you know, whether you want to call it glass half full, or you want to talk about, you know, finding solutions instead of focusing on the problems, there's no question that, that um, you know, I, I revert back to, hey, they say when you're in stand-up, you know, oh, it's easy when you're presenting or in stand-up, picture everyone in their in their underwear and their you know that, and that'll help get you through. I picture, you know, I, I contextualize what I do at work with other things outside of my work to say, hey, you know, we can get through this. We've gotten through lots of other things prior, but I've also seen a lot tougher things outside. Another example, um, you know, outside the comedy, I was, I'm a volunteer firefighter, and and you know, when you face an issue at work, we're like, oh my gosh, this is we got to get this done. This is life-threatening. I'm like, no, no, I just peeled someone out of a car accident. That life-threatening. This is something that is solvable if we bring the right people to the table and have the right conversation. So, so I think, you know, being able to bring those other contextualized and contextualize other pieces of your life into that conversation is a huge help to, 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 you know, to keep things in perspective as you're having those tough conversations, which are, you're absolutely right. uh, More frequent now than I've ever seen in, in my corporate career, for sure. 
What has been your most recent challenge as you go through the journey of being a leader? You, you get really good at, at doing something at an organization, whether you're the, the go-to tech person, or in my case, I was, I was a really good recruiter, Allison. I'm really good. Like I hired a lot of people away and, you know, they had competing offers and I love doing it, but that's not my job anymore. I was good at it. Now I have to make sure that everyone in my charge is good at it and has the right tools and experiences and learning. And, and increasingly, um, that's a, that's a discomfort, an uncomfortable place to be because I have to fight for resources or, or say no, uh, you know, when, when things are suggested that might, you know, get in the way of my organization being optimized. And those kinds of conversations, you know, kind of the, the back and forth, whether that's, you know, you're going through a transformation or changes or, or reorganization is so, you know, so common these days and even more so in the pandemic. That's not my favorite thing to do. My favorite thing is to find someone who doesn't know what they want to do next in their career and help them find a great place, hopefully at EY, but, you know, even if not. And so, so, getting comfortable in that arena um, and the way I've done it, to be honest, and I think a lot of leaders um, would say the same ones that I emulate for sure, is saying, there's no one better suited for this role now. It's not my favorite thing to do, but there's no one better suited to help advocate for the recruiting function and for my team than someone who has been in the trenches, who's, who's done his fair share and then some of being at career fairs, who's talked to you know thousands of candidates because I have that perspective, but now I also have a seat at the leadership table. So so I've I've learned to welcome that role. Um, even though I'd rather be, you know, presenting to a group of students on campus or or interacting with a, a partner, you know, a partner candidate, that would be my preference to do that day in and day out. I have a I have a duty to the people in my charge. Um, and that duty includes having the hard conversations and, 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 and you know, contextualizing it from, from the lens of I've been in their chair, I know what it looks like. And, uh, and that, I've really embraced that. I, I would say in the beginning of the pandemic, when there was you know, so much talk at every corporation around how do we save costs and how do we you know, reorganize and how do we be as efficient as possible to get through this, um, I think I was much more, can't we just get back to doing what we do best? And it occurred to me, I'm like, hey, maybe what, what I need to do best is being that advocate, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable for the good of the larger organization. And uh, I keeps a smile on my face. It is so funny you just had that story because I am personally going through that. My business partner is personally going through that where you are, you got to where you are because you are so good at what you used to do. And then the organization needs you to do something else. And and it's like this selfless shift that you have to give up the things that used to light you up and give it away to other people because it is the right thing to do and push yourself out of your comfort zone. So it's this it's this extreme uncomfortable territory where you're constantly fighting that internal dialogue of I could do this faster myself or but that's not the way I used to do it. And, and stopping yourself from saying that because that yeah. just damages so much more than if you were to give it away to somebody else and let them have the experiences you were so privileged to have. So it is just such a relevant con- conflict um, that I'm, I go through every single day. You know, like, especially as, as, you know, this great reshuffle, the great resignation, like whatever you want to, nothing's great about it, by the way. No, it's terrible. Um, you know, a lot of people are finding themselves in new roles or, or their roles being redefined to be more of like less of what they love to do and what got them there. I think one, one thing I will add to that, that I think I found that maybe other people, you know, would be helpful to other people to find is 
in this new, you know, this new reality of what's, what's really important for me to focus on. Yeah. It's not what I loved doing, but I have found some things that I actually really love doing that I never would have found if I wasn't pushed into this. So, so when you can solve a really big issue or, or alleviate, you know, a, a pain point um, for someone on the team or, or have a tough conversation and have it come out where no one feels like they've lost, you feel like you've both gotten to a better place. That is really, really rewarding. And, and the fact of the matter is in my old role as a, as a recruiter, as a talent acquisition you know, person, I never got to see that as much. And I, and I really relish it. So I think try to find some more of those, those golden threads and those new things to get you excited. Otherwise, you're just going to spend all your time in yesteryear thinking about what you used to love to do. And you're not doing that anymore. And it just leads to you know, job dissatisfaction and, and, and angst and, and you know, none of which is good for, for you or the, or the organization. It shifts from what you used to be good at doing physically mm -hmm. to what is most fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And and that is a growth moment and it takes a lot of reps and figuring out and self-reflection and all the stuff. But yeah. once you unlock that, you can't stop. It's like this right. snowball effect. That's um, exactly right. So the the growth that comes from leadership is just it's tremendous. So Oh yeah. When you think about um, grooming future rebel leaders, what would be some advice you'd give to them along the way? Mm. So I'd say a couple of things that, that, that have really helped me. First, find someone who's not like you to help to guide you. So I aligned myself early in my career with people that were what I thought was like me, you know, outgoing and in your face and optimistic and all this other stuff. And the fact of the matter is it was like an echo chamber for me. Like, oh, I want to be like this, this woman or this lady or that guy, um, because I saw what, what maybe I could, you know, develop into where I got a lot more value, frankly, is from folks that were more, you know, deeper in the numbers, the introverts, the stuff that I didn't see myself as being a big part of who I was. And I was able to complement what I already, you know, either I had developed or, or was you know, naturally, you know, luckily born with, um, with other things to help round out. You know, if you want to be a real rebel, rebel leader, you know, you need to be more than passionate. You need to be more than one dimensional because you're going to come across situations where that are going to require different tools that you're, you're just either not in your toolbox yet um, or never have been. Um, and so, so I think that's big, big step number one. And it was weird. You know, I would, I was approaching people that were eight and 10 years ahead of me at the firm or outside of the firm and saying, I'd love to just, you know, pick your brain and get your advice. And, and, and some of them were like, why we're nothing like each other. I'm like, well, that's exactly, exactly. why. And, and, you know, so, so, so I think that's big, big thing. Number one, I think number two, you know, being willing to, um, uh, to take people's advice and their opinion of you and running with it, right? So, so many times in, in, as I've come up through the organization, people have said, you should do X or you could do Y. And I've said, no, that's, that's not me. I'm, you know, I'm this guy, I'm this recruiter, I'm in this role. This is who I, who I am and I like to be. If someone is going out of their way to tell you that you could do something different, lead something different, have a different path, it's because they see something in you that for whatever reason you may not see in yourself, maybe because you're going hundred miles an hour straight in this direction, you're not looking other directions, but, but I learned to really listen and pick up on the cues of what people were suggesting. I think way too many leaders that I see great leaders, by the way, um, are focused on, I'm going to build my leadership brand. I'm going to take the, you know, what I know and, and further that and think about my next move when, when all on this, probably people around to say, you know what? You could do X, but they're not asking or they're not listening and they're missing on peripheral opportunity. I'm an, I'm an accountant. My path was to be a, an audit partner serving large financial <laughs> institutions, which, by the way, I loved doing for the time that I did it at the firm. It was someone else that said, you'd be a really great recruiter. And I'm like, hmm, 
I don't know. I maybe all right, I'll try it. You know, and 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 that has launched the career that I now absolutely love. So so and then last but one one last thing I think for you know for rebel leaders, you need to be willing to have those hard conversations and find a way to do it. I am I am so not that guy. My kids will tell you, my friends will tell you, I am I'm the peacemaker. I'm the mediator. I'm going to try to build you up. I, you know, delivering a tough message that needs to be heard was never my thing, but you have to find a way to do it. Um, we we uh, have some training at EY that I went through, which was really helpful to me to say, um, helping people to envision themselves um, of what they could be and where they can get to. And then secondly, saying, here's how I'm going to play a part in getting you there. And that's a way of talking about developmental needs or, or, or saying, here's where you might fall short, but it's a way of doing it in a positive. I'm like, wait, I can be real with people and still be positive. Sign me up. So finding your voice and being able to do that is, is, is absolutely critical. There's a concept, um, accidental diminishers. Um, and I'll, 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 I'll let you know, your, your audience would love this, a, a consultant that worked with EY for a little while. And it's like people that do great things or think they're doing great things that are, are accidentally diminishing the effectiveness of the people that work with and for them. So it's like, hey, I want to provide air cover because I don't want this mean manager to be beaten up on, on someone who works on my team. And it's like, hey, that's great, except if you're always providing air cover, how will that person learn how to interact and deal with a difficult manager? I'm like, Man, Ooh, I never thought good. about it that way. And she's like, yeah. And, and, really and I looked good. down the whole list of accidents and initials. I'm like, I do all that stuff. This is awful. <laughs> That's so good. I love yeah. that. I just wrote it down. Um, so in closing, do you feel like being a good, strong, rebellious leader is a born trait that needs to be groomed or can it be taught? I think it can be taught. There's no question about it. I think I think some some people are lucky in that they have some of the the innate either qualities or competencies that they're born with. Um, but even those that have say more of that kind of out of the gate still need to have you know there's so much to be learned and developed and honed over the years that I, I really think it can be taught. And how do you teach? You know, how do you learn it? You know, it's things like by the way that per, the accidental diminisher that's Liz Wiseman is is the person. She's fantastic. Um, but it's 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 reading, it's learning, it's having experiences, it's surrounding yourself um, by a whole host of different people that will will help you to develop those areas you're a little short in. But I, I I'm I'm confident. I think the one the biggest thing for me that I tell people about finding your leadership voice, being a rebel leader, being, you know, being strong and, 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 um, and being all that you can be for your, for your team is finding the organization that's going to support you in doing that. I mean, if I think when I looked from the outside into EY some 30 odd years ago, I saw a big corporate giant that I, you know, I'm going to be a, I'll be a hard worker. I'll be, you know, one of the, one of the widgets, right. You know, I'll just do my thing. And, and what, what's kept me here for so long is that I found out that, if you are willing to do some of those things we talked about, right? You know, be true to yourself, be authentic, ask the right questions, speak truth to power. How is your organization reacting? If they are reacting in a way that they're encouraging you to do more of that, because they know that's good for you and the organization, stay there. If they're not, maybe that's not the right place for you. So so where you find yourself, the environment that you're in, I think has a big say on how far your your, your rebel leadership journey will go.